I'm always ready. Hey guys, welcome to the Human Source Codex podcast, where we delve deep into the mysteries of life and reveal the hidden wisdom that lies within us all. Join me, I'm your host, Kelly Ray, as we explore the most controversial topics and uncover the truths that lie at the heart of our existence. From ancient spiritual practices to cutting-edge scientific discoveries, I promise you I will leave no stone unturned in my quest to expand minds and open hearts to the infinite possibilities that surround us. So sit back and get ready to unlock the secrets of the Human Source Codex. Well, today, guys, we've got a little bit different kind of podcast that we're going to do with um, my good friend, John Templeton, who's a personal development coach. And uh, today we're, we're going to actually go into, we'll see where it rock and rolls to, like what actually happens during this conversation. As you know, with my podcast, I like to actually have them as conversations and we will touch on controversial topics. And I do love a good debate too as well. And I know John does too. So we will see what unfolds here today. Hey, John, and welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Hey, Kelly, thank you, everyone listening, and get ready, because I know today's topic is going to be pretty hectic. <laughs> well, we won't keep it a secret any longer. Like, John's got some questions, and um, he wants to hash out. What do you want to hash out? Well, I've been researching leaders and people that make an impact and there were some questions on my mind around emotions and is there a correlation between someone with really heightened emotions and the amount of impact they could have or someone with maybe more limited emotions and a more centered mind and the impact they had and one of the people I wanted to dive into is Adolf Hitler and obviously he made a huge impact, cultivated a whole nation behind him. I say whole, I'm sure some people didn't want it, but many did, and and started to expand his empire. Um, people were behind the mission that he had and the vision that he had. And I wonder, I wonder what was driving him. Was it a, was it an open heart for his people, for all people? Was it raw emotion? Was it some traumatic event that he experienced in childhood and then it was just raw trauma driving him i'm curious wow this is going to be really cool <clears throat> so in the essence of um leadership and emotions is there a, a perception that a person to be a great leader needs to have like a a, a big handbag of of emotions that actually provides the energy for them to to lead into into their direction well, emotion is energy for motion. That is yeah. what does drive our our body to move towards or away from things. And so you would think that the more sort of emotion is in there, the more someone's going to move. Whether that is making an impact to, to, to others' lives or to chase goals for themselves, all I know is that emotion moves us and that guy moved a lot of people. Was it all raw emotion or was it, you know, a poised, a poised um, sort of well, level-headed mind. Well, I think um, in, in 
really looking at, you know, the way that we like to actually research leaders is to really go deep into uh, as, as much information as possible and looking at both sides of a person. And then we, we withdraw or we, we uh, take out the traits of, of that particular person and so that we can really get an understanding where, where they're actually operating from. So have you done that with him? Yes, to what degree? Maybe okay. different to you. So what, what, what um, because when we talk about emotions, like emotions to me are actually driven by a specific action or a thought or a perception uh, relative to somebody's mission or to, you know, avoid that they perceive that they may be experiencing. So in the, in the, in the essence of Adolf Hitler, um, what is it that you really want to actually bring up? It's the more integrated, is there a correlation between the more integrated you become and the size of your impact on earth? I guess, I guess, in the, you know, that is a yes and a no answer. And because as we actually approximate integration, then we go into the next void, like we complete a cycle, then we go into the next void. So therefore we open up something which is the unknown and therefore we go again and again and again, like in that format. But um, is, your, is your question is that with what he achieved or what he did? What's the difference? Well, for me... Are you talking about his um, actions or behaviours or it, his... It, for me, it actually depends on the perception of where you're actually coming with this uh, because I know there's a lot of conjecture about, like he's widely known but also widely uh, disliked as well in, in multiple different uh, countries around the world. And um, so... Are you, are you postulating and coming from a place that he was uh, a great leader but also a despised leader? I would say that statement is true. I, why I care about this is because I want to make a big impact. Okay. And I want to know what are those key core driving factors is, you know, a lot of the work that you've done, that I've done is about um, having a balanced perception, not necessarily being emotional, um, bringing yourself into a state of equanimity. And, you know, I'm, I feel like there are lots of people out there that do that and they don't have a huge impact. So what's the, what's the driving factor between, and the reason I bring up Hitler is because of, yeah, he is despised. And a lot of what you do see of him, it is, it is charged. He's polarized. He's he's this energy coming out from him. Um, even the times where he's quiet, you can see that he's like got intensity in his being. And when he's leading people, he it's just energy and potency. And I'm I guess with all of what I've just said and those factors, I want to come to the conclusion of like, well, what creates a great leader? Is it emotionality? Is it the size of the vision? Is it both? Is it a clear mind? You know, is it huge amounts of wounding as a child? Like what creates that? 
Well, because you've actually brought him into the as the leader that you are, you know, approximating. Am I correct? Or is he just a a person that uh, demonstrated a bunch of emotional intensity uh, with a great legacy that he's left behind? The way this started was me going through some of Dr. John Martini's work. And from what I understood from that work was that the greater the level of impact, the greater the level of integration, essentially. And Hitler got brought up during that training. And I thought, so you're saying that Hitler was more integrated than someone like you or I because his impact is far greater than you or I. That's where mm-hmm. it stems from. Okay. So I would say yes, right? And if we go and delve deep into like the man himself and look at all of the qualities that he did express and repress, we will find that there was a level of integration um, relative to the conjecture that's actually out there in the world. Now, in saying that, I know that that might be controversial because we have moral moral. Uh, and ethics that actually come into this at play. So the question here is, is I believe, is um, do you have to be unemotional to be able to have a great impact? And it is about moving forward at all costs relative to whether it's human life, et cetera. Could that be correct? Yes. Yeah. Vice versa. Is it unemotional or is it total emotional? Right. So we, we as humans, are, if we are seen to be expressing no emotion or unemotional, what labels do we generally get? Well, yeah, you could say disassociated or you're yep. suppressing or repressing. And that's psychopathic, sociopathic. Yeah. What yeah. else? Narcissistic. Well, see, I would say those people are emotional because their emotions are driving them. Yes, exactly. But yet, but yet it's still actually depicted as sociopathic or psychopathic is that they showed no emotion like during these particular, you know, events that is is judged or that the narcissist does not have the ability to be able to like have empathy towards somebody else. Yes, I would say, though, the narcissist is driven from emotion. That's why they're so extreme. I agree. I agree. So in in the essence of coming back to Hitler, and do you perceive him as being an integrated human being that created a legacy that has lived, like, beyond his life and reached millions of people globally and will, will be set down in time? All of it, I agree to. The bit I'm unsure of is integrated being. And can we even define integrated? What, what, how would you even define integrated? Well, it, it, for me, it's moments of in time, right? We can only ever approximate uh, full integration. This is relevant to the laws of rhythm, the laws of cause and effect, the laws of polarity. We can approximate like the, the closest point to the zero point field in integration. And we have moments of that. And then we come into a phase locking experience where we have a moment of pure integration where 
we may experience or feel the aspect of certainty and presence and what we love to say is unconditionality in that moment. And then we actually birth into another form of separation. So that's where when we're in that place of, you know, I call the zero point field, there isn't any emotion. Because to me, emotion is disintegrated. It is a separation mm -hmm. of two parts of the pole in polarization of opposites. But yet when mm -hmm. we actually push through and we, we see all, all sides at one particular time, we then have the experience of a phase locking experience coming to a place of unconditional love. And that's where our heart opens and our soul is then connected. We, we are actually inner and outer directed relevant to uh, you know, our soul's our soul's mission so then we go into the next void where the separation and then the next round of emotions actually come into play so I think it's a misnomer to actually perceive or believe that we can be in that pure state 100% of our time while we're here on earth but then also too we have to look at the elements of consciousness what is that that's actually playing an important part inside of this as well I just want to go back one step. Yes, we go in and out of full integration and that moment of um, at one moment, uh, whatever you want to call it, that 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 stillness, that certainty, that middle moment of just everything feels whole. Yes, we all go in and out of that. I would say someone more integrated, one spends more time there, two gets there more frequently. And three, isn't as extreme in the polarizations. For example, if you look at someone like Eckhart Tolle, that dude is so mono, no like extreme emotions. And his whole teaching is around presence, which is that state of equanimity and centeredness. And so for someone like him in comparison to Hitler, for example, I would say there is, this is my belief system, is that the higher the level of integration Yes, the less emotional you are, but the more you feel. So it's not suppressing or repressing the emotions. It's being so present that you can watch the emotions come and go and they don't affect your, your mood, so to speak. So I would say there, there are levels of integra integration. And I'm, I'm just not sure that the more integrated you become, the greater the impact. Because Ooh. the people that are making a great impact, even now, like Donald Trump, I would say... He can be pretty poised at times, but he can be pretty fiery as well. And, and there's emotion there. So, yeah. So I guess like you have a reference point, right? Your reference point is the comparison between Eckhart Tolle and in your perception of his expression of, um, you know, mono, your words, like being very monologue, monotone, like unemotional. One. One. Yeah, he's closer to at one month than the majority of us. And then the comparison to that is to Donald Trump and to Adolf Hitler. Like, so he's like the opposing force to those two. So in essence, he's playing a role relative to the, the, the dynamic of, you know, the dialectic that we have to experience here on this planet called Earth. So we could say that it's absolutely necessary for the opposing force to actually be there. Now, I guess, you know, I'm also going to say my bullshit meter just went off like to Eckhart Tolle, no disrespect to him. Um, but have you done your research and really gone into where does he actually express and exhibit the other side? 
as like uh, Donald Trump does and expressing. Yeah, I I don't feel he does to the degree that those guys do by a long shot. A lot of the spiritual teachers that I follow, I don't think they do because their attachment, they don't have the attachment. So there's no um, things they're attached to. There's nothing they're seeking or avoiding. So there is way less emotionality. So if I was to put it on a scale of integration, you know, let's say a cartel is 90%, just for a figure, 90% integrated. So his fluctuations are very small in this little 10% realm, whereas Donald Trump might be 50% integrated. So his fluctuations are bigger and more of a 50% realm. I would, that's how I see this whole model is the more integrated you become, the closer to center you become, the less emotional become because you have less judgments. Agreed. Agreed on that. And to me, that is a form of self-mastery is to have governance over that which actually arises from within you relative to your perceptions of what is potentially happening on the outside and being able to be present to that moment. And this is a beautiful hermetic principle, you know, like they, they watch the polarity, like swing to the left and swing to the right, but yet they don't actually join into that. They allow it to swing and allow it to swing back, but they stay in the center relative to it. So, you know, this is, this is a beautiful spiritual um, wisdom maxim that's been around for many 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 centuries too as well um so yes i agree with that and as myself as a human behavior specialist that is my everyday work to actually be in that space and have governance over the those fluctuations or those volatilities that we label emotions or we label feelings right that are they stem in my perception from our perceptions and then our body starts to actually act relative to those perceptions. So coming back to um, like Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler, we start to actually look at uh, what, was, what was their driving force, right? So the teleology behind these two beings uh, does play to me uh, an important role into you know, these, these uh, expressions. And then we can also say, take Eckhart Tolle and look at like what is his teleology or his telos or his mission or his purpose here that is going to have him animate that form. So if, if you take yeah. those two men that you mentioned, uh, Donald Trump and Hitler, what was their mission in your perception? I would say that they have a very, not very, but quite an in an extrinsically driven mission as in i call it if then living it's like if i achieve this then i'm great or if i achieve this then i'll be loved and in comparison to Eckhart Tolle i feel he's more of an as then so as i live then i'm happy so instead of focusing on the destination i would say Eckhart's more focused on the journey and mm -hmm. so Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler what's driving them this is the this is the big question. Mm -hmm. It's some kind of vision they have of a future that's better than their current reality, and they're willing to fight tooth and nail for it. Whatever that is in their words, I don't know the specifics. You know, is it for Donald Trump? It's money, power. For Adolf Hitler, I don't know about money. Um, whether it's for this this perfect race he wanted to build, I don't know, and I don't know where it, where does it come from. You know, is it 
you know, Donald Trump's dad was a, a property mogul, or maybe it was just, well, this is normal. This is just my conditioning, my patterning. This is normal. Think big, go big, win. Um, Hitler, maybe, I don't know. I don't know with Hitler. That's why I'm not sure. Like, where where is that vision, or as you call it, that teleological purpose? Like, where is that born out of? Because I feel like a cart's is different to theirs it's it, i feel like his is i'm just at peace and wherever god guides me wherever the universe guides me i'm just going to take that next step same as michael singer it's kind of like i'm just gonna hand this over to divinity and walk that path and they're very poised they're very centered they're less emotional because they're just not attached so much but these other guys who are arguably having a bigger impact probably have a bigger vision and more emotionality more swings in their in their behavior well i guess you know like coming back to two things here is like the word impact and having a bigger impact relative to the polarization that's attached to you know the expressions of these these particular beings um you know it's it to me it, it's it's like a drama, you know, the, the the masses love to actually get involved in a drama. So therefore it has a heightened sense of gossip or, you know, communication around it, right? And and so therefore there is a perception that that is greater than somebody like Michael Singer or Eckhart Tolle as such. But yet I reckon if you went and did the math and actually did the research, you'd probably see that they would come out balanced. Because we have to have the law of a risk escalation to actually govern those particular things. But if we look at, you know, um, the, the things that matter the least actually travel around the globe the most, right? And the mm. things that matter the most travel the least. And that we have to, like, I want to postulate that question because where does why does that happen and why does something that is actually uh has so much meaning uh well perception of meaning in advancing and changing lives i could say michael singer or uh you know eckhart tolle for example why does that not get the reverence or the actual you know the the heightened sense of uh media coverage why does that, as composed to, let's call the other thing politics, and let's call this what? Spirituality. Yeah, spirituality and politics. It, it's just, it. big picture, it's just, it's unemotional. Whereas politics, the news, conflict, it's emotional. And, and people are not in control of their emotions. So the more, that's why I'm saying, it's like almost the more you can polarize people, the bigger the impact you're going to have. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the greatest minds on the planet have an understanding of that. The ones that are, that are actually, you know, know how to actually work the human brain, the human mind, and to actually feed it what it's looking for, like in terms of dopamine and, and serotonin, they will, they will create and feed that illusion and mm -hmm. keep the masses in a delusion. That mm -hmm. is the purpose of that. And um, so that's the purpose of the media. And I don't give a shit who's actually listening to this because it is absolutely true. You know, like the media is there to actually sway the minds of the masses so that they can be actually out of directed and controlled and sent uh, relative to, you know, 
the system that is created for max for those that have that understanding to create maximum wealth and maximum impact and to have maximum power and though in the words of John D Martini is that those that have the most certainty actually rule the game and they are absolute certain in how that they will actually govern the minds of the masses and keep them in their limbic system so that they're reactionary relative to fear. This has been around for years and years and years as well. You know, we can go all the way back to religion where in the essence of heaven and hell, if you're not a good boy, you're going to go to hell. And if you're a good girl, you're going to go to heaven. So, you know, we can come all the way back as to what has actually created our emotions is those belief systems. Yeah. And what happens to the what happens to the people that actually wake up to those belief systems? They start asking questions like we do. Absolutely, they become uh, more profound in their their questions that they actually put out there. But they also become targeted relative to the others. So as we actually grow in consciousness and we evolve in consciousness, we we also have to attract greater sense of challenge in that which is the opposing force of the uneducated, the, uh, the lower minds of the masses. But so yeah, if you're here to actually make money and um, you don't give a shit about people or you don't actually, uh, you know, have, have a, a moral compass that's relative to actually assisting people in their transformation and their growth, then yes, you won't care. And that's what we say, like, if you want to stay in the center, there's an element of caring where, you know, it's, it's um, self-worth and other worth come together. They're not separated, but if you don't care, then you're going to have a higher sense of self-worth and you'll negate the other worth. Yeah. And I feel like people that do that, as you just said, high self-worth negate the other worth. I feel like they, they're the ones that have the power because they're the ones that are the narcissistic ones that have the, they know what they're doing to manipulate people's minds, to polarize them, to keep them in the cycles of their emotions. So they can't access their inspiration. They can't access their, the, the, the full self. And so that brings me back to Hitler mm-hmm. versus someone like Eckhart or other spiritual teachers that, they don't go around polarizing people. That's not, they're not playing a game of, oh, I'm going to polarize these people so they follow me or, you know, the Jews are the enemy because of all these reasons and make whatever, let's go kill people, take over these countries. The spiritual teachers are saying, look, I'm just in the center and these are the, these are some ideas that are going to help you with life to live a fulfilling life. And so I just cannot see a correlation between integration and impact. I feel like a lot of, like Eckhart's, Eckhart's made a, a huge impact. Some of the other spiritual teachers, huge impact. Hitler's arguably uh, bigger, but less integrated. And we 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 decided that was a true statement based on the fluctuations of the emotions. Okay. So in consideration of that, like um, if we want to make an equation relative to impact, we're, we're is there uh, in your perception? Are you looking at that Eckhart Tolle is adding to life, but Hitler was what taking life? 
I wouldn't put it into that category. I believe they're both giving and taking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I just would say that Descartes is more integrated than Hitler. And I'm curious as to how to make the biggest impact. Is it to go out and just become so centered in yourself and so present and be inspired or be like Hitler, be more emotional, not saying he's uh, completely emotional, but more emotional and really pop, like he was polarized. He had to be polarized in order to polarize others. So that to me is a lack of integration. And so I look at myself and I go, well, you know, do I need to be less integrated, more polarizing, and then I'm going to move more people? I, I, I'm, but then I'm like, well, you know, Eckhart's essentially impacted millions and he's more integrated. So I just cannot see, I don't know what the correlation is between integration and impact, if there even is one, or it comes to something greater, like literally the size of your vision. But where what, does that even What What's the opposite of impact to you? Um, I would say impact is on a scale of degrees from high impact to no impact. No. So let or me like movement, no movement. How do you actually how do you actually demonstrate impact? Well, I could punch you in the teeth. That would be that okay. would be an impact. <laughs> so we say that like it's force, right? So what would be the opposite of, of impact? It would almost be stillness or stagnance. Wouldn't that be integration? Stagnant would probably be a better word in that. Stagnance? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then if we integrate those two parts together, like impact and stagnance, then do we birth integration? I would. So that would be the like, if we, yes, we do. Yeah. So you see that, and, and almost like inside of that, when I was asking that question, like what was coming up in your feeling body? Because I saw you look up to the right, up to the left, and you know, then check in to your feeling body to see which one actually felt true, or it, does it feel true? Well, I was just building the representation, an image in my head of impact and stagnance, and I was wondering if it was the x-axis or the y-axis, because okay. I. I believe that when we integrate the x-axis, we climb higher up the y-axis. And I was just going, oh, is this a y-axis we're climbing from stagnation to impact? Or is it an integration of opposites that helps us climb up? For me, it's the integration of opposites that actually help you climb up. Because if you're in the polarization of other, you're, you're in a dialectical spin, right? And it's a revolutionary cycle that's not actually having you evolve. So when we can see the, the service of both sides relative to that which is our mission, then we can actually then quantum jump or leap into the next, next evolutionary sphere, right? So, so can, you, can you see that? Um, and, the, and we move back to the, the perception of impact is greater than stagnance, but yet both are necessary to actually have an evolution. 
So why would we want to be one more than the other? There's got to be something on the y-axis. Amount of people impacted versus amount of people unimpacted. Well, if we look at... As in... In the, in the well, reference to what are you calling impact, like monetary value or reach of people? Yeah, so this is what we have to define yeah. is not monetary, reach of people to transform, transformation of number of people. And relative to their, to their vehicle on how that they actually do that is, is also relevant, right? Why? Why is that relevant? Well, relative to perceptions. So are you familiar with like um, the, the Chinese cultural revolution of Mao? Maybe pre-World War II. Pardon? When was this? Uh, back when when they had the famine in in China. Pre- when there was 30 pre- million people in the in the cultural revolution of Mao in China. So there's we, we look at relative to the vehicle of what the mission is of those that we perceive as having the most impact. Like what is their mission? What was their teleology? I keep coming back to that, looking at the why that's actually driving. This, this perception of impact, right? So if you have a why that's big enough, then you're going to have a greater impact on humanity. But if your why isn't that, that great, then your impact's not going to be uh, relative to the scale of these particular things that you're talking about. But that and then why we come into the emotion. Well, is it, it I would it say. The, the bigger the why, the bigger the charge, surely. Because of the, the the bigger the void that is there, so therefore it's not fulfilled. So therefore there is a, the perception of feeling that I don't have that. So therefore I want to actually bring that closer to, you, which is driven by our limbic system. But yet us as a species have the opportunity to be able to step into prefrontal cortex and actually have governance on how we actually get into uh, the, a creation of being able to receive and experience our why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, in, inside of that, we come back to what is it that to have a great impact? Is it relevant to the vessel, the vehicle, and the driving forces to reach many people? And we could say, like Mao, we could say Hitler, we could say Donald Trump, we could say um, Tony Robbins, um, Eckhart Tolle these particular people, there's no doubt that they have had an impact on many people. But in your perception, I just want to ask this one question, is is these particular people in your perception, the way that they've had an impact and changed or evolved life, more negative than positive? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were speaking. And I was processing that myself going, how am I going to define this when she asks this question? Because I knew it was coming. Yeah. And um and I know that that's not true that they've more positively than negatively. And so and maybe you can help me through this. It's like so how have they transformed? It's in a way where they I'm just going to throw out what's on my mind and we'll put the piece of the puzzle together, but it's almost like they have followers. 
almost like fans that are just like drool <laughs> they're not really but like drooling all over them and they think that they are they put them on a pedestal that's what it is the amount of people that have that person on a pedestal like what is the driving factor of that it's some polarization it's an attachment absolutely absolutely it's a polarization of the the unconditioned mind that doesn't have a an understanding of that which they're trying to you know bring into their life they are placing through geopositional perception on a pedestal and seeing themselves uh, in a lower echelon relative to where they are. So that, again, we could say has been conditioned through us throughout time in in the belief that um, I'm less than and they're more than, right? You know, how many times have you been told that you're not there yet, this, that, you've got to blah, 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 you must, you have to, you should, et cetera. So therefore you're actually limited by external circumstances in your perception, but Mm -hmm. you, you are placing people up instead of placing them in your heart. And Mm -hmm. and the simple thing is that is because we have not been taught to actually go and look at that, that um, what we see in others, we have inside ourselves. And that's the, the, the holographic universe that is actually out there and owning all those particular traits that they are expressing, but it's in your form relative to your axiology and your teleology. So the comparison quotient is what fucks people up or consistently is that's where our highest form of like depression actually stems from is in comparison to others or comparison that, oh, I'm not there yet, or I I don't have that. And when I get there, your words earlier, when I get there, I'm going to feel this, I'm going to be great, right? But we're not grateful for where we are right now because we perceive that we need all these external circumstances or conditions to actually allow us to actually have what the word better life. I think I have a formula. While you were talking, I was like, (laughs) I think I've come up with the formula for greater... Impact. And when I say impact, I mean the the greater amount of people infatuating with you. Because that's what it is. Well, that's called selling, right? And marketing. And and so yes how, and no. how yes are you going no. to deliver, how are you going to deliver that message without polarizing it too much? Because it has been shown throughout time and yours too, you know, like these people reach so many people around the world because of their emotional expression because they, they've tapped into the negative component that we call pain or hell, and we, have, we use the animal instinct to actually drive people away from that. So we sell them something that is like the magic pill, the red pill, the blue pill, to have them perceive that they're going to get a better deal or a better life when they get there. That's heaven. Yes, and that's what Hitler did. Germany was on its knees financially and so he played into their desires, what they wanted, you know, abundance for the country, for the nation to, you know, he played well, into we, that. He, no, don't we see that still today, you know, like in the secret and abundance and, you know, like if you do this, you're going to reap all the benefits of, of, yeah, keep going. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's, so there's a transformation. There's a transformation. It's still there. It's just in another form. Of what? of the way that it's being marketed to the masses or to us to be able to believe. Oh, that's what I mean. The formula is the same. It's, yeah. it's speak to someone's values 
polarized, pol- like polarize the crap out of it based on their values. Mm-hmm. Don't show the downside, only show the upside. Not, hey, we're going to, we're going to lose millions of soldiers during this thing. Your, your dad might die. Your husband might die. Don't tell them that bit. Make them sound like heroes. Polarize the crap out of it. Only show the upsides. Now you've got a nation of people going, yes, this guy is going to get us out of trouble. Well, right. This, that's it exactly. So they're still looking for an external external God to be able to save them from themselves. Like, so they're limiting themselves by their perception of external circumstance. And uh, so inside of that, it's, it is, you know, it's still creating a sense of marketing but through polarisation for people to, the humans that don't have a conceptualization of being able to ask just a simple question, where is the opposite also true, right, and bring it into a state of balance. so fucking simple, but nobody does it. And, mm. you know, it doesn't sell that well because, oh, my God, you know, like it's it too simple. the sale. Exactly, right? Exactly. But yet uh, it creates an objectivity inside of it when you can also ask that question, is this relevant to who I am in my self as a as a person inside my values inside my teleology inside my axiology is this something that's going to complement or is it going to assist me in my mission right and that's that requires objective reasoning to do that and i perceive that then that has a greater sense of impact on how you actually deliver your message you could say that i'm being quite up and emotional relative to this because it actually is important to me to be able to express that. Mm. But balance doesn't sell that well. well that it doesn't at all. No. Even a Carl Toll, who is, I would say, a very, very balanced human, he is still, in comparison, he has something that millions of people want. Presence, peace, stillness, fulfillment. And so there is still a polarisation happening. And, you know, hail the the messiah of Eckhart Tolle and so it's always on a pedestal it's all yeah that's I mean that's always (laughs) that's always what is going to polarize people and draw them in now I want to like look at Eckhart Tolle I don't believe he's intentionally polarizing he's like "Uh aha I'm going to polarize these people so they pay me money I genuinely feel he is out to teach presence how to become still which is how to not be polarized. Well, Whereas Hitler, did Hitler go, did he genuinely in his head think that it was a one-sided, did he have the wisdom to go equal benefits, equal drawbacks? I don't think he did. I think he actually thought that the future he was fighting for was going to be like this beautifully abundant one. And well, so that would say to me, he's unintegrated. He's unwise. There's there's no wisdom in that. So then, in in the purpose of that, we could say also too, when Eckhart Tolle actually started his journey, who did he utilize to actually get his message out? He had to go to polarization. He had to go to media. He had to go to Oprah Winfrey. I don't think he did. He did. He went to Oprah Winfrey to be able. No, to I have... think she went to him. Pardon? Because I think she went to him. Because his book didn't take off for about five years. He wrote it. It was in bookstores and it grew organically. There was no. Okay. 
Fair publishing enough. coming in. It was five years later before it started to, you know, get word. And then... And then the necessity part of it to be able to come out to the masses required a polarisation for it to be discovered, right? Yes, so but I think it was an organic one, not a manufactured one. So there is definitely, like I say, everything in the universe has to be of use, right? <laughs> Otherwise it will go extinct. So the aspect of polarisation is absolutely useful for, for the growth of things. And we, we require that to be able to grow to evolve otherwise we stay in a revolutionary cycle and then we become extinct so and also too relative to consciousness we have to have a contrast for us to be in consciousness so therefore polarization is absolutely necessary for growth and and it's part of our universal constructs in nature as well you know we don't have uh, a full year of summer we don't have a full year of winter or spring or autumn we have the, yeah well still they ha still have a degree but less it's actually less right there is still changes or transformations that actually do occur even in the equator i've spent a fair bit of time on the equator and it still rains it still gets cold and it still you know gets hot still goes through all of those temperature transformations but yet it is absolutely necessary for the environment to grow if we're coming back to nature, including the animals that are there as well. So let's look at the relevance of polarization in the assistance of transformation. And how are we defining transformation? Or growth to transform, to actually evolve. Yeah. To act, if you want to use thermodynamic evolve, evolve. laws, use to actually evolve into a, into a, a different form a greater your, form let's let's you're attached to the word greater in words of impact so let's look at it relevant to that to impact specifically which we've defined as the attachment of more people well that's your attachment yes but is it yeah, well, that's how I'm defining it, is when you've got more people infatuated with you, you've got the opportunity, you, you're, you're making a great impact, yes. Yes. So therefore, when you have that and you create that attachment in the perceptions of humans, and therefore you can have a greater, greater impact, reach more people in a way, then create a level of transformation relative to what your bank account or change um, others. Well, I'm not saying there's right or wrong in it, either of this. It's just trying to find, like, what is it that, what is your meaning behind this particular question? Well, I want to live the best life possible. That's what I want to do. Okay, and great. what does yeah. that involve? That involves me doing what I love doing. And part of that um, I've learned is that involves helping other people as well, Con contributing genuinely, not not just to give but and not to get back it, it's a it's a balance of giving and taking and so sure my bank account that that can grow and i will help people get what they want in life as a coach um so move beyond their current challenges and problems and i want to impact more people so i'm going okay do i need to polarize more people so they become more infatuated or do you do the eckhart toll method which is just follow divine inspiration 
and just to you know put one foot in front of the other or is it a combination of both a little bit of this a little bit of that well i think the balance is the center one that you just said relative to i understand that everything in the universe is actually trying to reach homeostatic form or equilibrium right that is the purpose of it and when we learn to play inside of that and we can be in fair exchange for self and other then we are in a state of what I call unconditionality or unconditioned love or a state of pure gratitude. So, but yet we still see the necessity of the, well, the perception of necessity to polarize, to be able to create attachment. But if we have the awareness that when we, when we create attachment and people put us on the pedestal, they're eventually going to chuck us in a hole, mm -hmm. right? Because because yes. I think he intentionally does it and he's great at it. He's he's a master at it. So we, we we have this saying, right? Do you want to be a fad or a classic? You know, classics are around for a long period of time, but they're not in, in it for the short-term gain. And like the the fads are in it for well, they I don't know if they have the perception of that, but they're they seem to just be in a short-term gain, like in, in that, and they have a short-term impact. And this is this is a, a beautiful question to posit because I was having this conversation with some other colleagues the other day. Do you perceive that Tony Robbins is going to be immortalized just like Adolf Hitler? It's it's comparative. Compared to my you next door neighbor, yes. Compared to Hitler, no. Mm, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? Do do you perceive that um let's just say John D. Martini is going to be immortalized like Aristotle. So it, it's relevant to, you know, the, the perception of the people that have, have I don't been think so. or legacy based in the past that we could say have become greats and that we're still in a comparison. We're still comparing ourselves. Always, duality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we I don't think it. it's degrees. It's like classic, immortal, fad, mortal. It's the scale of degree, not black or white, right? So it's 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 comparative. And my question that I would put to you is, what puts someone as more of a classic comparatively to more of a fad? Because Hitler's gone down in history. That dude was more emotional than Eckhart and I think would have more of an immortal impact than Eckhart from a polarized place because there were more people infatuated with him well was he more emotional than Isaac Newton I would say no that's why I'm, I can't draw the correlation that's why I'm trying to figure out what gets maybe, you to find that maybe, scale the of answer, maybe the answer is in that is is again is that we can't draw a correlation so why do we there has to be some, there has to be some formula or equation for becoming more immortal and more classic and remembered well, after our time. I just don't know what it is. Potentially is, is to be able to, to impact your words, more people through, um, through your great ideas or you know, ideas that have not actually been done or demonstrated before right that's what we have the nobel peace prize for is those great minds the perception of great minds that actually have 
uh, discovered something and brought it to the service of humanity. So I don't think Tesla did that. He didn't discover anything. He just had raw, like, drive. From what I understand, I have not lived with the dude. I don't know him inside out. From what I feel into, see, read, and I'm a, I do love World War II. I spent a lot of time reading World War II. Um, yes, probably a, a one-sided maybe understanding of it. And it, that that impact, like that, his why, his vision, like, is that how you become immortal? By having, is it, you know, is this the, is this the formula? Dream I bigger. think like is, is that the formula have a have a dream so big a vision so big with so much attachment to it so you are so polarized towards that vision that nothing will stop you like is that the formula for immortality and the the further away that vision is from you in terms of time and space the bigger the impact like a thousand year vision which you are so attached to is far more powerful than a 24 hour, hour vision that you're attached to that's a fad right Whereas the other one is a classic. Is well, that we the could, formula? We, let's put Elon Musk in that basket. Yep. He's, yep. A, he's going down as one of the greats. Absolutely. So therefore you see that he has a, a great immortal vision. He knows that it's going to go beyond his life, right? So every day he's dedicated to that. And every day he probably wakes up and actually attends to that every single day. And so... How do you? I don't, I don't see him any different to to Hitler in in a form, right? Because if we're we're just taking the relevance that these people, they're just people that have have had great visions beyond where their do life. visions come from. Well, that's that's a. That's the existential question. You know, we dive deeper into epistemology and ontology and free will and predestination, you know, and what is the relevance of our soul inside of our body? And is the soul, is the body separate to the soul? Is the soul actually separate to the body or are they both together? That's a whole other, whole other argument that I'd love to go down inside of that. But one of the things, one of the things that has really stuck with me and throughout my journey of the love of wisdom, you know, I love wisdom. And so therefore I'm a teacher of wisdom and it, it creates controversy and I get multiple different challenges or conjectures from other people out there. But, you know, thank you to, you know, Martini for actually showing me this particular statement. I would rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. So what does that mean to you, like in, inside of that, when I say that? Yeah, it means, like, I have my vision. I know what it is. I'm, I'm, the reason I ask these questions, yes, for me, I want to get wiser and more certain of my systems and structures to help others. So mm -hmm. I can say definitely, like, this is what needs to change if you want to experience this. Like, that's what I want to create for others. That's why I love these conversations and having you as a friend, because we can we can really down when you say it, that it's okay. going against yeah your soul it is it, it is an existential question there is this part of me which is hungry it's hungry it's ambitious it's it's 
towards things. And I reckon if you dove deep down into it, well, yeah, you can't. There's bits of conditioning. There's bits of pain from the past, wanting to experience pleasure in the future. So avoids and values, as, as Martini would call it. There's aspects probably genetically, probably generations through me that are also coming through that are all leading me on that path. That's my best guess. And I don't think anybody knows for sure. But there's an innate knowing when you're off that path and you're going against your own soul. Could that be emotions yeah. that come in? Could yeah. that be the feeling components that are going, hey, hey, you know, like you might have to create a bit of friction here to be able to get yourself back to that soul now, essence. Soul. The hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, is, is exactly that, right? When you hear that call, you know it's a call and then you're on a, on a road, on a road of, um, I call it, you know, the pathless path is because you, you get conjecture from here, but yet you have this internal component that's like trying to keep you uh, congruent to what your soul's calling is or your teleological mission here on this planet. And 99% of people here don't have a fucking clue about what that is for them, but yet they get all these particular feedback mechanisms through their emotions and their feelings, and they go, oh, my God, I can't handle that. So they go take a pill or, uh, you know, they numb it out. But that, that is the driving force. And so potentially these people that have made an impact on, on humanity that have become immortalized post posthumously um, were potentially listening to their soul's calling. And then, then we go, you know, to a different state and ask the question, like, what was the purpose behind that that had to happen? Because in, in my world, the universe does not bring anything into creation that it's not of service to evolution. Mm -hmm. My question would be, how do you, how do you, tune into your soul's calling i've got some ideas but they're going to con contradict or conflict with hitler and the fact that he is more pol i would you know i would he is more polarized than Eckhart. we've agreed on that um and so is he listening to his soul's calling or is he what? listening to his emotions or are they both the same thing well, let's, let's, let's go back a bit because I, I, don't, I don't particularly agree that he is more polarised. I just see that he's a, he was a human being on, on this planet that had a mission that in his perception carried out, same as Eckhart does, right? And if we were to break down the parts that he chose to actually utilise to carry out his, his, um, his teleological mission or his highest values, there's a multitude of different things in there, but we can look at um, the greatest things that most people know, you know, like he, he took life. And so then I'd come across and say, you know, like where did he give life as well? Because I believe he gave life equally as much as he took life. Absolutely. I, I, where I does Eckhart Tolle take life as, and give life, right? I would say gives people maybe an unrealistic um, thing to attain for, the, for, for an everyday person to, to, to reach a mystical way of living. 
as a mystic, you know, that could be destroying people, trying to attain what's unattainable. That's suffering, right? So I can see them both giving and taking equally. And I said that earlier, it's equal. I would say that Eckhart is more an inspired mission, vision, because it's more intrinsic as opposed to Hitler, which I would say is more extrinsic, which is if and then, which I would say if you're living in if and then, you're motivated, you're not inspired. That's true. That's true because we're looking for an outside source to actually give meaning to that, which is you're trying to actually rectify or reconcile within yourself. It's still limiting yourself by external perceptions or ex external circumstances or conditions in the perception that they are going to actually give you that which you actually can source within yourself. So, um, but yet you're still doing or demonstrating a similar thing. So am I. And so we have to ask, like, what is the purpose of motivation and inspiration? They are two pairs of a pole. I disagree. Okay, great. Share. This is something I've been playing with all week. That's why I was excited for this call as well. And I was writing it down. And <clears throat> I feel like desperation and motivation are two sides of the same pole. This is how I work it. Motivation is a towards, I want that. Desperation is away from, I don't want that. Positive is motivation. Negative is desperation. I would say inspiration is the integration of those two. No longer chasing, no longer running away. You integrate the opposites. You, you ascend a quantum. You ascend to what I would say a, a Martini's teachings, a transcendental feeling and inspiration and enthusiasm then comes through you. That's what I believe. And so I... I've been playing with the idea is that all three exist simultaneously, desperation, motivation, inspiration. And you could literally go from desperate, desperate to motivated to inspired in the matter of 10 seconds. If you had the awareness or you, you kind of knew what was happening, you might be like, I don't want that. I do want that. And then inspiration can come through you and just channel all of this energy and enthusiasm. And it's not, and, and it is a process of I'm enjoying the process. You know, that something happened the other day. I can't remember the specifics, but I remember going through, oh, I just, I got all this passion come online. And you would say passion is the motivation. It's the polarized to the positive side, right? So I felt all of this almost anger. And then sort of this passion came through me and I just had all of this energy and I got so much done. And the way it came from, I was down in the pit. I was in the negative and desperation came in. I was like, I got to do something about this. That converted very quickly to passion and fire. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling really motivated. And then I was like, I think I'm just inspired now. And I went back on my mission. And so I was like, I feel that they're all very close to each other, very subtle, all happening to a different degree at the same time. Um, and so this is just something I've been playing with recently is like, can you transmute well, inspiration to motivation to inspiration like absolutely. really quickly? Absolutely. Really quickly. Relative to relative to where you are in the states of consciousness. And yes, you're you're quite conscious to these particular things, right? So you have you have a connection to the the biofeedback of your emotions and have the ability to be present with them and then ask a quality question like, what is the meaning of this? Like, 
what what is it and going into it you're not you're not trying to avoid it you go with it and ask it it's what is its service to you and this is where we actually see that all of those particular emotions that you just mentioned um even though they are in contrast to each other or polarizations they are of service they are feedback mechanisms to let you know that you're either off your path you're out of center to yourself relative to who you are so when we have that awareness we can actually go into and this is where the source of all human suffering actually ceases because we're not trying to avoid something or seek something we're just actually going oh well, he's anger great okay let's be with it so there's no avoidance in that and in the essence of trying to seek something else outside of it to actually you know uh, reduce that feeling we see it of service and so therefore we actually utilize it and this is where the highest aspect of actually charges come from relative to to our mission and purpose so that's why i love having an emotion because the mm. emotions are there when you have the consciousness and the awareness and the intelligence to be able to understand its purpose everything on everything in this planet on this universe has a purpose otherwise it would be extinct I wrote down, Kelly, when I was thinking about all of this, your emotions carry the whisper of your intuition. That's that's the conclusion I came to. I was like, you can be controlled by your emotion or you can listen to what it's saying. And that's your intuition guiding you towards, yes. you know, anger can be setting a boundary. Desperation could be do something well, to change your freaking life, you know, and that is your intuition pushing you back to center. Anger is a tool. We use anger. We use it. Mm. You know, how many times have you like been angry with somebody and then, you know, you're in a relationship and you're, you're having a, an argument with your, your girlfriend or your wife, you know, but then the phone rings and you turn the anger off. And then as soon as you finish the call, you go back to being angry. So it's a tool relative to something that you wish to actually, you know, bring into alignment relative to your values. So we just, yeah. it's my seat of service. But yet today in today's world, like it's it's bastardized as, you know, you can't be angry, don't be angry, you know, your emotional problems, you know, you've got mental health issues if, you, if you're demonstrating anger. Because. That's, well, next month I got my retreat in Bali. We've I've got boxing gloves. I'm teaching them how to get angry intentionally and fucking go and then switch it off afterwards and come back into an, state of equanimity and because that's a skill that a lot of people pleasers altruistic overgivers they do not know how to turn on their boundaries and their anger and the ability to say no and so i'm fucking looking forward to bali a little bit of scrubbing <laughs> up a little bit, a little bit of sparring like physical sparring and mental sparring too as well and and so we come into the, the that exactly of um the perception of that which is liked and that which is disliked or that is, you know, I hate using these words, is good or bad and or positive or negative. And we're swayed by rhetoric to actually be polarised in that perception and away from something else. So when you have the understanding of that, that is pure conditioning of the limbic system. That's a pure conditioning of an animal. You're being trained as an animal to sit and stay, you know, like I tell my dog to sit and then I feed it a reward. 
you know, Pavlov's dog in that format. That is that. Is that. But the, the highest consciousness is to have the understanding of that we want to be both and that we utilize both with consciousness. And if you want to make a great impact, you know, that is where those that have an understanding of that actually create the impact. Is it though? Well, it's do you have the courage to have an understanding of it? I don't think he did. Do you have the courage to be disliked? I love that question. And it's difficult. It's difficult to to have the courage to be disliked. And I'm learning to more and more. Hitler definitely did. Yes. And and when you can be in that place of, of being in love with yourself with being disliked by many as well as liked by many we start to actually see the service of that particular challenge to us but my contemplation around that is like what is what is the the feedback mechanism mechanism of us not wanting to be disliked right we can go full circle back to you know, the animal behavior within us and Maslow's hierarchy of needs of us being kicked out of out of the herd of, as an animal and the fear of being eaten. Yeah, the fear of death. But yet the highest form of spirituality in the mystics is to be able to master the aspect of aloneness or oneness. Mm-hmm. So we have a contrast again, don't we? What's the contrast? either being alone and being as as one or being in the herd with the herd mentality with the many. So then we come into the law of the one and the many, which we start to actually see through all aspects of being. You know, we started off as a single cell and then we actually differentiated into, into many parts and become back to the one body again. So is that our journey? I believe I've got a belief that we have an extrinsic purpose, which is that, and an intrinsic purpose, which is our our voids and our values. And through, you know, say we're in a relationship, the feedback is always going to be there to integrate more, shift your perceptions, come back to an equanimous state. doesn't matter if you're in business, relationships, the feedback's there. So I feel like we've got this big extrinsic purpose to, yeah, return back to the one, return back to center, return back to source. And it doesn't matter what pathway you take to get there. Let me throw this question, this postulate this. The universe is striving for androgyny. Yes. So what is that? That's that's an integration. That's the one. one. I I don't think, I don't think Hitler was, his focus wasn't, I'm going to become an integrated being. That's why I'm like, he, he's got an, an immortal legacy, but it wasn't so, for integration. Well, he had a, had a mission to be able to create a dynamic race of beings, right? Yes. But he was polarised. And, yes, potentially, and we've, 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 we can see that there's a necessity for polarisation to actually come into creation of that, which is our our mission and I don't I would I'm not even going to postulate that because I don't know the man you know I'd have to go and do a bunch of more research to see whether there was any components in there of him um, wanting to become a mystic or to to become a fully integrated being back to the one 
But um, inside of that, I can see that he also demonstrated both sides of the coin. Through, through his mission, he demonstrated both sides of the coin. Like there, there's a balance there relative to his mission and his expressional form, which, yeah. which, you know, has been probably taken out of context because we understand the need of polarisation to be able to sway by rhetoric to have governance over the lower-minded components. And... When, when we come back to the one, let's postulate this is even in our perceptions is that the more that we are fractionated in our perceptions, the more fractionated we are in our emotions, the greater the work that we have to do to be able to integrate those to come back to the one. And I think that's my work every single moment, every single day is mm-hmm. knowing when, when you're actually stepping out of, uh, out of integration and fractionating to what degree am I fractionating myself um, and then bringing those parts back together as a one again so we do that work and that's the what I call the extrinsic purpose that's that's the great work integrating self I don't think Hitler was doing that every morning journaling and going how could I react differently I just I I no, no, you know, like journaling. I don't journal. I just don't because you know I but recently. You yeah, exactly. So why, you know, I I postulate the question of how do you know that he wasn't journaling because was he not actually contemplating or thinking? Do you want to know okay. why? This is why. This is why. Right. Because I truly feel that the more integrated you become, the less harm you do now i know you're going to say everything comes in twos and eckhart is yes he's helping and hurting at the same time however his intention is not that if that makes sense and so i i feel and please challenge me on this the more integrated you become the more present you become i know you don't like the word peace because peace is contrast to war I feel that the more integrated you become, the more in tune with the moment you are. And then if someone needs to be hurt in that moment, you'll hurt them. If they need to be helped in that moment, you'll help them. Whereas I don't feel Hitler was in tune with the moment. He had a mission and he didn't care how many people got wiped out for him to achieve that mission. And I, I, to me, that is selfish and unintegrated. That's how I feel, please challenge that, break it down. So you have an attachment to life here. No. An attachment, there's a there's a moral and an ethical component that is nested inside of your, your belief here in not wanting to hurt others. And then can I ask you a question? Like, where does that come? Where does I'm that happy come to from? hurt others. I'm happy to hurt others. If someone broke into my house and tried to hurt my dog, I would go and break them into pieces. I'm not against hurting. I'm Can against you- destroying and annihilating a race. Now, now, look, Hitler could have been backed into a corner. You know, he could have been backed into a corner with. I believe is what's happening now with Russia and Ukraine. Russia are backed into a corner and they're saying no more, right? And so they're they're attacking, they're hurting people. 
you know what I heard about the Bible? This will make sense. It says, thou shall not kill. That got taken out of context. That thou shall not kill. It really means thou shall not murder. It's the Hebrew changing of the language that got messed up. It means thou shall not murder. You're allowed to kill, but you're not allowed to murder. I was like, that's the frame I'm taking with this. I, I've, I believe in life and death. That's fine. You live, you die. Happy days. No worries. If you take a life, that's fine. There, there is something different, though. There is something different with... What is that? What is the difference? Yeah, exactly. Let's do no, this. No. Yeah. What is the difference that you're trying to actually determine? It's, it's almost, is it the message of, of God, divinity? Is it that ins- inspiration to take a life? This is what I believe. There's like an inspiration to take a life in order to balance and harmonize the whole. And and then it would be coming from a place of, you know, there's the saying, the best fighters are the least emotional because they're just neutral and they're in the flow state. Well, in that case, it's like, okay, in that case, I'm in, I'm neutralized. Inspiration comes through. I take a life to maintain homeostasis, balance. Whereas there are people that were, are so far in the narcissistic pole that it is, it is not an inspired killing. It is a if and then killing. If I kill them, then I'll have more power. If I kill them, then I gain this or that. That is what I would say the difference between murder is extrinsic motivation, killing intrinsic motivation. Eckhart Tolle, helping people, hurting people, intrinsic. Adolf Hitler, helping people, hurting people, extrinsic. That's how I would separate them. How do you, how do you, but I'm still not understanding like your perception of the difference between um, the intrinsic and extrinsic between the two men that you're utilizing. One is God's will, one is human will. How do you define that? Well, we're starting to get to, to, so one is, I mean, to define it, may or may not help one is it is your it is from an open heart it is your heart's open your soul speaks to you and it's like you know if you saw a, a kid on the road or something and or a person on the road and and they went to go and shoot someone to steal their bag and you had a weapon and you just went You'd probably be inspired in that moment. There's no, you know what? This is this is when this is the one thing. I see soldiers, and I was a soldier, and I, 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 if a grenade came into a room and my buddies were there, I would jump on it. Now I know in a lot of teachings and Demartini's work, well, you never do something without something in return. Like, I, I reckon that's bullshit because soldiers will end their lives not for any benefit to them. It is just to me that is inspiration. That is that is not. Oh, if I do that, then I'll be famous. There is no, there is no 
gain. It's not, oh, if I do that, then I'll be dead. And I really wanted to commit suicide. That to me is an inspired act of love. That is an inspired act of love. And you're taking your own life. I believe the same thing. If someone is on the street and someone's going to shoot someone else and you have a weapon, that's an inspired act of love. That's what I would say God's will is. Whereas the person who had the gun to go and shoot someone is not an inspired act of love. They are, they are, they are trying to benefit from it. But if you're defending the person that's about to get killed, you're not, you're not doing it to benefit. You're, you're not doing it. Oh, if I save them, then I'll be famous or anything. It is an instinctive moment of love that you are inspired into action to save a life or, and take a life both simultaneously. So the question here is like, what would you die for? And you just mentioned that, you know, if you, you're, you've served in the military, so you would jump on a grenade for and save your buddy's life. So we, we, we're coming into, you know, what they call the prisoner's dilemma here, right? And I've not heard of it. Sounds it, exciting. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it is like if we're going to save the lives of, you know, the many, but we're going to have to take out the few, right? What do we call that in politics? Like in, in times of, yeah. So, so it is, but I have to ask you the question because you've, you actually served in the military and where does that, where does that come from? Like I would jump on that in honour to save my buddy's lives, right? Is it honourable? Honourable? Is it trained into you, taught right. into you, or is, it, or is it divine will that comes through? Divine. It is divine. It is right. something that is built into all humans, everyone. However, a lot of people will have their emotions take I have, over. I have to disagree with that because, you know, like I've been carjacked, I've had a gun held at my head, et cetera, and, and watching, watching myself like during that, that component, you know, there was moments of fight and flight that actually did occur relative to the other people that were, were there. And also working with a lot of veterans myself, you know, um, through the integrating their PTSD relative, relative to them being in, you know, combat situations or even Navy SEALs that have actually taken lives. I've asked them many, many questions relative to that. And um, so that, it is part of their, their teleological makeup that they have gone in to serve to be able to, and yes, they're trained to actually take a life, right? Were you trained to take a life? Absolutely. Yeah. So. Conditioned so you to were, as well. And conditioned to, yes, right? By who? by like the military but by our superiors and watch we watch people getting killed all the time to decondition us to death mm -hmm. yes so inside of that could we make a correlation that the world each world country has an element of military that has trained mercenaries to actually take lives yeah apart from bloody nepal probably Oh, no, they, no, they've got the Gurkhas, actually. They've got the best, some of the best. But I was just thinking of a spiritual country. Yes, Kelly, yeah. I would say yeah. yes, they have. Yeah. Okay, great. So can you see that there's still a, a still, you know, that need to actually take life relative to, and I know that we're, we're comparing it to, to Hitler, 
but is it's it still it's still happening it's still yes. happening it's it's in another form it's just a relatively thing to actually protect others to take life right and so those that go into the military are there to serve to be able to protect others and could you possibly see that um in that regime during hitler's whatever you want to call it control that he had a similar thing going on right yeah yeah because of the perception of him you know perceiving that that was a threat just like any other country is a threat so i don't see it as being any different we live with that those things every single day but yet we don't we're not in the judgment to that yes if the context was and i don't know that um hitler was look i was let's use those two terms can you understand the difference between killing and murdering you understand what i'm saying with that difference or you don't well you know i you know i, I suppose there is a fine line and it's semantical relative to perception I would say the differentiation is what I always come back to with all of my teachings is if and then and inspired as then. So one of them is there's a motive. If I do this, then I get something. The other one is it is just intrinsic. It's not, it's not, it's not instinct. Oh, maybe it is a bit instinctive, but it's more, it's, it's more inspired it's more i would i would like the word inspired action do we perceive do you perceive that both are required both murdering and killing no that in your words um are extrinsic and intrinsic motivation yes. and then yeah unavoidable you're Absolutely. in duality, it's always going to have if then, and you're going to have moments of as then. Mm -hmm. yep. So what's, what's the real judgment here then? I'll get you to ask that question maybe with more detail. There's a couple of things I wanted to say was the jumping on the grenade thing and you're, you know, you having guns held at you. When you go into flight or flight, you're then in desperation motivation, if then. You're not in inspired action. And the, and the service of that is what? Survival of the human being. Which is our animal nature. And this is where we love our limbic system for keeping yes. us in the form. If you're addicted to life, yes. Yeah, exactly. If you're attached to life. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, if you were not attached to life, mm -hmm. there would be a, a higher chance of inspiration coming through because you wouldn't be in the desperation motivation. The fight or flight wouldn't be there. If you were not attached to life, fight or flight wouldn't be there. So what would be there? Inspiration. And so with some of these soldiers in that, in that moment, they might be in fight or flight. Fucking believe me, I've been overseas on operations and you're not inspired all the time. It's like, scary shit happens right so exactly. yes you're in your you're in your limbic you're in your emotions and and maybe in that moment you don't jump on the grenade and your mates get blown to pieces i'm not saying what i would or wouldn't have done 
but then there are times and people I can guarantee you zero extrinsic motivation. They just, they were inspired by love and they did it. Yep. I've I met those people in the military as well. So you're starting to see that this both, right? And as we mentioned earlier, that we we have moments of inspired inspiration or inspired action, and then we also have uh, moments of motivation, which is uh, absolutely required for us to actually evolve and grow. Yeah, yeah. So when we have the understanding of that and we can be um, present to it, what's there to do? There, there isn't there isn't really anything to to argue about anymore with that. Well, that is defeats is the it? purpose of debate, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the answer. Coming back to a balance. Coming back to a balance. Because I I think in here, like we're we're getting so um, conditioned by what I call moral hypocrisies, right? That are conditioned belief systems of how we should operate inside of a society, which is still external or uh, projected authorities trying to tell us how we should be, right? In, and we could say that today's greatest one is the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure. So we're on the hedonic treadmill, like relative to that. Mm-hmm. But yet we we see that pleasure and pain are absolutely required for us to be able to evolve and grow and to actually animate, form and move through life. And we come back to um, Viktor Frankl. <clears throat> you know, he wrote, you know, he wrote a beautiful, beautiful sentiment that came out of Auschwitz. And what was his what was his mission? What was his message? Um, if you've got meaning, you'll withstand anything, pretty much. Absolutely, if it's a big enough reason. Absolutely, and you withstand both anything. And so, from mm-hmm. today, from that, we have logotherapy, right? So, and that is in the essence of teaching people that. So I, my biggest question is, is like why? Why is humanity being conditioned to avoid challenge? You mean who's conditioned humanity? Well, I'm asking, you know, like because it's quite rife throughout, throughout our existence. Avoid. So my yeah. question, it's not who, it's like why? What's the well, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think we, you can't not be. Yeah, but my question Sorry. is like, but why? What's the purpose? Everything has a purpose. So why, why is humanity being conditioned to actually avoid challenge and avoid pain? And avoid evolution. An evolution of, of, of which part is going to evolve? Yes. So you can't avoid challenge, but the desire to avoid it is what pushes you in a certain direction. And you would say that direction is is back. Or is it it the, it's the desire is not having the awareness 
of the desire that's pushing you towards that challenge and being able to govern that to bring it back to a centered place. Example? Well, is having the awareness is that you're actually tipping or fractionating or pendulating towards the pleasure side and bringing yourself back to a place of center because we've been so conditioned hedonically to be able to head in that direction but yet we're not taught or conditioned to come back to uh, the center point. That's all good up here. Don't go down there. Don't go down there to the negative side, but, you know, stay up here. But yet, we, as we know, with nature, the oscillations have to go back down to create homeostasis within us. But yet, we, the majority of people on this planet, they go up, into an excitatory state, joy, excitement, etc., and they want to push that, stay there, stay there, stay there. We're not conditioned to actually come back to a centre point. Yes, and your question is? Why? What's the purpose of that? Why is there 90, 99% of the masses actually, you know, yes. believing that and going that way? Like what is the purpose in terms of it's, humanity it's, for that experience? It's... it's so it's survival. It's it's have sex, reproduce, eat food. That's the as base of it. Uh-huh. It's as it's keeping the species going. Reproduction. Yeah, that's the base of it. And when you say that, that's why I was asking. Do you mean who? Because I I feel like God innately put that into us so that the species continues. And why is there the one percenters that actually have the ability Transcend to that? Yes. Or, or, or not completely, but to degrees. Or have an understanding, um, have the wisdom or have the knowledge to be able to actually come back to that point, that which is to exemplify and mimic nature. Why do people seek that? Because they get tired of going around and around in circles. They no, no, no. My, my question is, is, my question was, is like, why... Why do we have the opposing force and why do we have, you know, the balanced perspective, you know, the one percenters that have, have that understanding? Is that, is that not also a universal mathematical equation? Yes, it is. Is everything comes back to math in terms of equanimity? Yeah. And that's the many and the one. Yeah. It's... So it's one from infinity, infinity over one. Yeah, it's just the laws of the universe. Universe or the multiverse. <laughs> well, I don't know enough about astronomy. <laughs> so we start to see that at all scales of existence, we are seeing and, and having an awareness of what is actuality, not what is what we call reality. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. even in the aspect of like those perception of the people that we have labelled today as impactful leaders. In We see they make an impact, either positive or negative, or um, your words, you know, inspirational or motivational, driven, that at all scales of existence, we see that in everything. We see, the, you know, that the military is operating in a similar form as to what Adolf Hitler is, right? So it's still there. It's just transformed into a new form. 
That's second law of thermodynamics. If you want to actually look at the conservation laws of energy or the mm -hmm. conservation laws of, of, um, of matter actually moving. So mm -hmm. we see that nothing ever changes, nothing ever can be destroyed. It just transforms, but yet it must go through these transformational components. And we can put in here that the um, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, build, maintain, destroy, you know, it's cyclic and then evolution occurs. Mm -hmm. So why would we want to avoid anything? Well, if you're smart, you wouldn't. No, it's of service. Yeah, it's of you just keep learning. Everything, for the master, everything serves, including yeah. death, the perception yeah. of death. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love I love doing this with you, JT. Like, it's just, the, it's mind expansion. And so thank you for, for jumping on and doing this. I've nearly gone two hours into this is great is fabulous and you know we're going to do this together in person as well uh and so stay tuned for that stuff we'll put some information out about that shortly but thank you for that it was, it was wonderful to be able to and i see the essence of this and being able to uh come together and consciously debate something even through challenging questions you know is quite profound because it it actually uh, births idea it births information it it opens and expands minds hearts and consciousness mm -hmm. so you know again we're not avoiding challenging questions we're going head on into them and seeing the service to that so thank you i loved it thank you i love awesome. you i love you too love you too brother so stay tuned to more with me and JT uh, in person. We'll probably do some more of these on um, podcasting too, but also we are going to be doing some things live together. So stay tuned to that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.